The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Support for Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast comes from Remax Commercial. The Remax Commercial Global Network can help you adapt to changing markets, evolve with new technology, and maximize your investments across all property types. Go commercial with confidence. For more information, visit www.remaxcommercial.com. Welcome to another episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, Senior Content Editor of the magazine. In this episode, Larry Guthrie, CCM Institute Director of Communications, speaks with Casey Conway, the Chief Economist for CCM Institute. The two discuss the latest CRE Insights report titled Disaster Preparation, Response, and Recovery. Conway details how commercial real estate professionals can minimize damage and disruption from disasters, both natural and man-made, through planning, communication, and cooperation. Hi, I'm Larry Guthrie, Director of Communications for CCIM Institute, and I'm here with Casey Conway, CCIM, MAI, CRE, CCIM Institute's Chief Economist and the Mind Trust behind Red Shoe Economics, an independent economic forecasting and consulting firm. Thanks for joining me today, Casey. Great to be with you in our, our larger CCIM community. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I mean, this couldn't be a more timely episode as we pick up the pieces in the wake of Hurricane Ian. You know, I wanted to chat with you about your recent Commercial Real Estate Insights report titled Disaster Preparation, Response, and Recovery. In it, you take a deep dive into the ever-increasing number of catastrophic events, how these are problems that require extensive planning, communication, and cooperation, how industry professionals can best prepare for unexpected disasters, and what needs to happen in the wake of such events. I mean, we could fit that all into 30 minutes, right? Yep, absolutely. We can cover the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So let's dive in. So in, in the report, you take a hard look at the growing number of disasters that have devastated many areas of North America. You make the distinction, though, between disasters caused by nature and those caused by human actions. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. So, you know, we tend to think, you know, of the things that grab the headlines, the the big hurricane like we just had, Ian or Maria that hit Puerto Rico, or we think of the wildfires out west or, you know, flooding in the spring. But we forget this is much broader in scope. So a couple of good examples. Think of, um, you know, Jackson, Mississippi uh, earlier this year with its water treatment facility. Um, that, you know, the, the leaders had honestly neglected um, that, that important infrastructure element. So when they had, you know, another overwhelming flooding, it took the whole system offline and the, you know, the state capital Mississippi didn't have um, drinkable, potable water um, for days or weeks. And it's looking at a much longer, more expensive problem. So we need to look broader beyond hurricanes and tornadoes and wildfires and think about those things that we're interconnected with. Think about utilities, uh, for example, uh, Texas last winter with the ice storm, you know, and preparing, you know, for uh, winterizing the system and, and how do you recover and that if you don't have electricity and it goes off grid, it creates lots of other problems. Like then you have water breaks that create, you know, flooding and interior property damage. So it's, it's much broader and we need to, to kind of think about those things 
that are systemic to our economy that we're also interconnected to. It could be a levee that's north of us in an adjoining state, or look at the Mississippi River right now with the drought conditions and not being able to move barges and our grain and our supply chain. So uh, disaster preparedness is more than just mother nature. It's things that we do that we create or that we can complicate ourselves. What are the implications for the commercial real estate industry when you make those type of distinctions? So uh, there's a couple that we need to think about. Number one is just think about the utilization of that commercial real estate. So if we're dependent upon a utility or an infrastructure element and that is broken, how do we occupy our office buildings? How does our retail get resupplied? How do our warehouses connect in the supply chain? So the first thing is utilization. And that is addressed in a number of things. Sometimes it's in insurance policies by tenants for business disruption, but other times smaller businesses may not have that. And so we lose those tenants or we lose that occupancy. So um, be thinking about the utilization of the real estate, what, what types of disasters could impact who occupies or can continue to occupy your real estate. The second one is value. So I'll use example again of the Jackson, Mississippi thing. The, the value of, of not knowing whether you can rely on your, on your water treatment and sewer system causes entities that may be thinking about site selection or expansion there, uh, you know, to put, put all of that into question. And so if that reduces, say, the demand or the interest in your real estate, it affects values. So I think the two big ones are utilization of our real estate. The second one is um, look at the overall value. And the, the third one I would throw in there is we sometimes take for granted other expenses that disasters impact. So they could impact, obviously, insurance rates, which we'll probably see another hit in Florida after Hurricane Ian and the the storms that we've had. Um, But insurance rates can go up and also property tax assessments because if a key infrastructure item is ruined and we've then got to float bond issuances and whatnot, we could see a substantial increase in key expense items in that real estate. So I'd put those three things, occupancy and utilization, to the value of that real estate, does it take a hit as the broader market loses confidence in that market or the value of that real estate? And the third, expenses like insurance and property taxes could be significantly affected in, a, in an adverse way. To kind of take it one step further, I guess, or kind of expand on that a little bit more with, um, you know, we're hearing these kind of long-term changes to the environment uh, that's impacting uh, everything, you know, like forest fire seasons growing longer and more intense as an example. How is the industry adjusting its models for risk calculations and disaster proofing both existing properties and new developments? So that's a really key question. And I would say other than maybe our our sister um, industry association, IRAM, the Institute of Real Estate Management, um, that uh, we probably aren't. Uh, We're seeing uh, pension funds and institutional investors they do all of these risk management scenarios and they put them in the bucket under ESG today. But honestly, it's really a capital flow. It's not a property disruption or market disruption risk management. And that's that's what I think we need to pivot to. Um, you know, the whole ESG movement is also on, on the environment trying to get us to, you know, plan ahead, plan for renewables. How do we get it connected? Well, you know, we can build solar farms and wind farms, but if we don't build the parallel that we don't like, high voltage transmission lines, it's not very effective. And so I, I don't think the industry is doing as much 
this really falls on the backs of those that do property management. So our property management folks have down to the property level and portfolio level risk management scenarios and drills. And we've learned through COVID things that you have to to do and put in new protocols, but I don't think we're doing enough and that too much falls on the backs of our property management colleagues. Interesting. Also in the paper, you discuss kind of downstream impacts and you've touched on it a little bit where a uh, disruption at a warehouse location, you know, causes problems for a retail location across the country. How can a commercial real estate professionals understand the kind of interconnected nature of our national economy? What can folks do, you know, to insulate themselves from these kind of impacts? So the the honest answer is we probably can't fully insulate ourselves. And that's why the paper deals with preparedness. So what are the, what's the plan B or plan C when it strikes? Because um, I've checked my crystal ball and mother, mother nature doesn't download stuff to me every day <laughs> on what's going to happen next or the next hurricane. So I think the answer is really preparedness. So let's say, let's take, for example, what's going on on the Mississippi River today because of the drought and the low water conditions. What is the plan B to move all the agricultural um, harvesting that we've got going on right now down to the ports and, uh, you know, to uh, factories that, you know, process that raw material into into food or, or packaging or that we export? So if you can't move it by river barge and that was your plan A, what's your plan B? Is it rail? Do you know your rail connectivity? Do you know what's going on with the rail? Right now we have some rail capacity because so much is not coming in from China. We actually have our ports that have capacity. In fact, I think a week or two ago, uh, the port of LA or Long Beach reported the least number of ships backed up, container ships backed up to unload. It was just four. So remember last Christmas when we were up to over a hundred. So you've got to have a plan B and say, okay, if the if the river is my primary movement to move grains and on barges down the Mississippi River to the ports like at Port of Mobile um, or in the Gulf Coast, what's my plan B is rail. So right now it could be a possibility because we have reduced rail capacity. Alternative C is maybe I got to move it by truck. But what are the cost implications of that product? And will my downstream customers and the, and the, and the folks be able to absorb a higher transportation cost? And that's been a lesson I don't think we've fully learned yet from COVID. But the honest answer is we can't fully anticipate that the preparedness, we can plan those plan B and C scenarios. If there's a disruption, say, from one critical infrastructure item, how do I compensate for it? So you can take it back to Jackson, Mississippi. What do you, every city should ask, what happens if our wastewater treatment facility goes offline? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with water issue? Every city should have that issue because there's an element, it could be an earthquake, it could be, um, you know, uh, you know, a terrorism event. All of us need to have a redundancy. An example I like to use is that of an airplane. If we didn't have redundancy on airplanes, a lot more would fall out of the sky. They have so many redundancies in hydraulics and fuel and all that type of stuff. And that's how we need to think about the infrastructure in our cities that are that our real estate is so dependent upon. What's the redundancy? What's the other element? So you referenced IRAM and property management and their role in this whole process. What other ways uh, can the industry and commercial real estate professionals, what role can they play as part of the solution in this, this these three areas, the preparation response and recovery when it comes to disasters? So everything starts at home. So start with your own property or your own portfolio, your clients, and have a dialogue with them about 
you know, where, where, what is, and where, where are you in your, in your kind of your disaster planning preparation? Is it just that you have an ice storm and the electricity goes out for a couple of days? Um, is it, what if, you know, electricity or if you're a warehouse, you know, what's your, what's your key supply chain connection? What port or rail do you connect to? And what are you doing in your risk management to monitor that? And to know, for example, if something happens, on BNSF, which is the horizontal rail line across the country, how do I reconnect? Um, uh, you know, are there vertical connections like through Canadian Pacific or CSX or Norfolk Southern? So it starts local at your property level. What's your plan at the property level? And if it's just for short term and short term disruption, I think you're missing the mark. And you need to go beyond that in your portfolio and have as investors, your investors in your portfolios that are in those markets, having a dialogue then to the next level. What is it at the local leadership level, the, the city, uh, the town or the county? What, what are they doing and what's the status of critical infrastructure, like a water treatment plant, like a critical bridge that connects somewhere? Look at what um, Florida is going to have to deal with, with bridges that were lost uh, during Hurricane uh, Ian. You know, one, what is the uh, what is the time and what is the cost uh, to put that infrastructure back in place? And what does that mean for your local real estate? You know, one of the le lessons that we learned from the um, Paradise Valley uh, fires out in California uh, and a number of our colleagues, like the Council for Real Estate, studied extensively, was that one of the things that had happened is to rebuild. Uh, no longer would the state of California allow um, uh, communities like that to use septic, that they would have to um, upgrade and adapt to a sewer system. Well, if a lot of the population's left and you don't have the population and the income to support a bond issuance for a sewer system, how do you rebuild that community? So those are kind of the dialogues. Start local at your property, go beyond the property to your local city leaders, um, and then you know, start connecting the dots as to you know, what, what infrastructure item or disaster would be mildly disruptive versus massively disruptive. Uh, I'll give another example I got involved with um, through a fellow CCIM uh, Kim Baker, who is um, her hometown, was um, uh, the, the Kentucky town that was devastated by, uh, by the tornadoes uh, last Christmas, where it took down literally everything, every power pole, took down the um, water tower uh, and everything. And as they were trying to put things back together, uh, what they realized was when you lose your main employer, like the candle factory or the Amazon warehouse, um, how do you rebuild uh, an economy when your key economic uh, item is taken offline and may have to be completely rebuilt. The second thing is a lot of residents and businesses left and didn't uh, consume power. So how does the utility company uh, get back up and standing and, and what are it reserves and can it financially stand up? And one of the lessons that um, I took away from getting involved there a little bit in, in, through Kim Baker was the most valuable player in that whole um, uh town and, and, and community um, hit by the tornadoes was the fire chief. The fire chief had more authority to make things happen and issue waivers than the mayor or anybody else in the town. So that's kind of another thing is know who you need to rely upon in your city or your town if you need to have a waiver or get something uh, get something done. So uh, that was a neat one for me um, was uh, was learning how powerful, say, the fire chief can be in a disaster. Taking it to a really granular level here, you know, with our audience being in commercial real estate, um, how 
does all of this kind of uh, proliferation of natural disasters, how has it impacted our analysis and valuation of our properties? What, what are some key uh, metrics or key pieces that you think are being missed or not necessarily valued are considered as much as they should in light of this, this kind of growing problem that we're having, we're seeing every year? So the most obvious one that people focus on is look at insurance rates. So Florida has been through this when it went through the 2005 and six period of hurricanes. You had a lot of the private insurers actually leave the state of Florida and um, insurance for property fell to really the state run citizens program. And they had some impositions like they wouldn't insure uh, your property if it wasn't your primary home. So they weren't going to insure secondary homes. The second thing that happened was with all the private insurers pulling out and all the demand going to them and the liability, they had to increase rates or find a way to do that indirectly, which was your deductibles. So you found your deductibles went from a few thousand to tens of thousands of dollars. We also found that the uh, coverage went where they divided things between a flood event and a wind event. So you, you think you have property insurance, but you may not cover certain things. So a lot of times in Florida and hurricanes, it's wind that does the most destruction and then the water does destruction afterwards. And a lot of times the insurer will say, well, you didn't have wind insurance and that was the primary event, so you're not covered. So start with your insurance. The impact is, do you really have coverage? And uh, understand that coverage and where it delinks, you may need supplemental coverage. The next thing is follow what's happening to the insurance rates and the programs. So with the disasters, we're seeing the rates are incredible. I knew I grew up in Colorado, you know, and we didn't have that many hailstorms when I was a kid. But when we did every, you know, say seven to 10 years, everybody got a new roof and it wasn't that big a deal. Today, a hailstorm, say in Colorado or out in the Mountain West, um, it's almost as expensive in the deductibles or uh, as high as you might find for wind or flood insurance in Florida. So um, start with that uh, coverage element, make sure you're covered. And if you're not, or you have gaps, understand, do you have reserves in your budget? Again, we go back to our property management folks, get them involved. What's the cost of, you know, taking the risk of uninsuring for something like wind or hail or some other event? And um, do you have reserves in your property management budget to, to absorb that? Are you taking some of the jelly beans away from the rental thing? Secondly, that we've got to understand here that has an impact is when these events happen, they're not short-term in duration. They're frequently years to fully recover and get back on our feet. Look at, for example, the terrorism event of 9-11 in New York and really a, a, over a decade to kind of get the plan and get the rebuilding and everything going back in place. Look at, you know, Jackson, Mississippi. What is the long-term time frame and cost going to be to fully replace and, and put a viable new um a water treatment plant in place. And in the meantime, over those years that it's going to take, how much population leaves uh, the center of Jackson, Mississippi and moves to outlying areas. So we've got to connect the dots that these events disrupt demand, which an event turns uh, and affects occupancy, vacancy rates and rental rates. So what you think is your value may not be so. I'll give you an example where this is looked at in the bank regulatory world. When I was at the Federal Reserve, the we have this thing called the interagency appraisal guidelines. And when you have to get a new appraisal and when the regulators uh, kind of beat up on the property owners over their loans is when they see what's called a material change. 
And that could be anything. Think of the BP uh, Gulf oil um, spill and how people thought that would be the end of the Gulf and everything that was, uh, you know, fronting the Gulf would be gone and that real estate would be worth nothing. I would encourage people to adopt that material change thinking on your real estate assets and think, if there's a disaster, what is the material change to my property in terms of insurance, expenses, coverage gaps, um, downtime, tenant disruption, business disruption, and then the overall market disruption. So I would really put that kind of material change concept from our bank regulators uh, in your vocabulary and into your property management model. So, of course, the title of your report is Disaster Preparation, Response, and Recovery. And, you know, throughout it, and even throughout this conversation, you've stressed that planning is critical to each of these stages. So if you had to share the top three items that need to be included in the planning for each of the three, preparation, response, and recovery, what would those be? So that's a great way to kind of conclude uh, on this thing here. And I would start, number one, with assessment. And then I would advance on to kind of connecting the dots to the influencers, because when disaster strikes, you don't need to be figuring those out. You need to have them ready to go. And then third would be thinking more broadly. So assessment, think about that as the property level, your city level, and beyond your city level. Um, So there's certain things that you might have done at the property level. You may not uh, have fully covered all your gap insurance issues. Um, You need to be interacting with your property management level folks because they're living the day-to-day of what you need on preparation. Number two is connecting the dots. This is one I took away from uh, being involved with Mayfield, Kentucky and the tornadoes. Uh, What we learned was it was really the fire chief that was probably the biggest influencer in the community to get things going again. So before the disaster strikes, know who the influencers are, not only in at your property level, but at the city level, and then beyond the city, the governors and and then different disaster aid groups like Red Cross or FEMA, et cetera. And then the third one I would say is we think too narrowly about disaster risk. We think about natural disasters like hurricanes and tornadoes and wildfires and mother nature, but there's a lot of other things that create disaster risk for us that we need to prepare for. And Jackson, Mississippi is a good example of what happened to its water treatment facility, the Mississippi River and the drought, what's going on right now and how you get your cargo and your uh, agriculture down the river. Uh, What is your plan B and your plan C? So assessment, connect the dots and think more broadly. So thanks, Casey. We always appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate.